Fresnotes podcast, Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt, recording this on Tuesday, October 17th. The Jazz have played four preseason games. They will wrap up the preseason coming up on Thursday in Sacramento before opening the season a week from tomorrow on the 25th, also in Sacramento. So, uh, Chandler, I think it's pretty safe to say we're not going to see much from the Jazz tomorrow because you don't show all your cards to the team you're going to play a week later on opening night. And I would suspect the same thing from Sacramento. I don't think we're going to see De'Aaron Fox. I don't think we're going to see Demonis Sabonis. I, I think this is a two shell teams playing deep bench players, making sure nobody gets hurt and kind of getting one last look at some of the younger players on the roster. Do you expect any players who didn't play maybe that much in the previous games to get a lot more time? Like maybe we might see some more of the rookies. Also, maybe we might see some players who maybe haven't even gotten in yet in the preseason. Yeah, maybe we end up seeing, you know, Taylor Hendricks start. Maybe we see that opportunity. Maybe uh, Keontae starts from the the very beginning. I don't know if Bryce Sensabaugh is ready to start at that level. Nor do I think, you know, Taylor Hendricks is ready to start either. But maybe, yeah, you just throw them out there and give them a chance. Uh, But as you mentioned, some new names on the Jazz as well. Josh Christopher... Michael DeVoe, Keyshawn, Johnson, or Keyshawn Justice, who we uh, haven't seen either of those two guys uh, yet either. So maybe maybe there's a chance for a couple of those guys to get out there and play a little bit more. But I asked Will Hardy yesterday after the Jazz beat the New Zealand Breakers if uh, he felt like they were on schedule in the preseason. He said, yeah, for the most part, this is where you want to be. You know, I'm sure you always wish you could do more, and everyone was playing better, and the team was more in sync. But where they wanted to be and where they are I think is pretty close. Yes, absolutely. Uh, We are going to recap some of the games that we have not talked about yet since our last episode. Uh, I figured we could start with the oldest game and then work up to the newest game against the New Zealand that was last night. Uh, But first up, the uh, Jazz played the Clippers for the second time, this time in Seattle. Um, There was a lot of interesting things that game. Um, I wanted to say that the two Jazz home preseason games, so the two more recent games, Definitely looked a lot better than the first two. There was a lot of things that could be nitpicked from the game in Seattle. Um, For example, I think that the biggest thing that shined through for me was just the lack of point guard play. Yeah, uh, and that was the game where, what, Taylor Horton Tucker went off for 24 points, and that's kind of the up and down with Taylor Horton Tucker, and we can talk about that more. I know we've got some questions in the mailbag that we'll answer before the end of the show. Uh, You know, when he just has a lot of touches, his stats are up there. They're productive, 24 points and seven assists in that game. But he takes 18 shots. He just dribbles the air out of the ball a lot and doesn't seem like everybody gets involved. When you do still have other guys on the roster like Lowry Markinen, like John Collins, who wasn't playing particularly well, like Walker Kessler, who only gets two shots, those guys need to find ways to get touches, need find find ways to get into the offense. It can't just end with Taylor Horton Tucker spinning into the paint and throwing a ball at the rim. No, it goes in. He can do it. I'm not not trying to bash Taylor Horton Tucker. He just is not just kind of doesn't get the ball moving, uh, and I think that gets people to check out. So uh, we will see what happens there. And also, I think the Clippers are good. I mean, it's no it's no coincidence that the Jazz looked better once they played against Portland, who might be the worst team in the Western Conference this year, and then the New Zealand Breakers, whose tallest guy was like six foot six. So <laughs> when you play those teams, you should look a lot better. And the Jazz still had some rough spots against those teams. Uh, but my takeaway, I think, from all the preseason games, and you can look at his numbers through the four preseason games for the Jazz. As long as Lowry Markinen's on the floor, you're going to have a chance to win every game. He's just really, really good. He's just a very, very good basketball player. He averaged uh, 21 minutes a game in the preseason, uh, 16.8 points, averaged eight rebounds, under an assist still. You'd like to see that number come up, but the Jazz didn't shoot particularly well at any point. He was 52% from the floor, did not shoot well from three, only 31%, but I, uh, I'm not worried about Lowry Markinen as a three-point shooter. When he's open, it's going to go in, and, and he should get some good looks this year. So... 
barring a dramatic fall in his three-point accuracy, Lowry's still going to be Lowry. Yes. Nothing to worry about there. Walker Kessler was my other big takeaway from that Seattle game. I, he, I'm not saying that Walker is Nikola Jokic or any of these elite offensive centers, but as the starting center, as debatably the second best player on the roster, you need to get more than two shots in a game. I understand that it's the preseason, and I understand you're only playing 17 minutes, but I, even if he's getting the Rudy Gobert kind of touches, only rolling to the rim lobs, I just I, I expect him to get more than two shots. I expect him to be around the 10-shot mark or more every single game. Um, I didn't but, think he had a very good preseason, to yes. be honest with you. I think Walker was a little underwhelming in preseason. And, you know, like Kelly Olynyk, I'm not reading anything into it, but I would like to see probably more from from Walker in his second year than a guy like Kelly Olynyk, who's going into his 11th season, who I absolutely trust to flip the switch and be ready to play game one. I don't think Walker's going to be disappointing in game one, and maybe it's just weird because he's only playing 18 minutes and he's trying to figure out how to play next to John Collins, et cetera, et cetera. But he shot 52% from the floor. Remember last year, had he taken, I think, two more field goal attempts on the season, he would have qualified as the league's leading field goal percentage shooter. He's up over like 73%, so his shots were not falling. His free throws, he was only knocking down at 43%. 4.3 rebounds is a good number for him. I think that was impressive. 2.5 blocks is good. Uh, but I, I I wanted to see a little bit more just kind of impact on the game. I just felt like he was a little passive at times, and maybe that was just because he had a long summer. And again, the Jazz are prioritizing other things right now. Uh, but uh, Walker maybe have been my, my most disappointing preseason of any player we saw. I think that the best game in the preseason for the Jazz has to be the game against Portland. You have Markinen dropping 26, 9 rebounds, 9 for 12 from the floor. John Collins shooting 5 for 7, 15 points. Um, and you're also going against NBA competition. Maybe they played a little bit better against New Zealand, but I thought that that was an impressive game from the Jazz. I would have liked to have seen Portland play DeAndre Ayton and play Robert Williams. Uh, you know, I would have liked to see them actually go out there and play their full roster. They didn't do that, uh, and that might have changed a little bit of the outcome of the game. And it was still close. I mean, it was one thirty-eight to one thirty-three, and the Jazz shot forty-two free throws. It was a, it was a bog of a game. It was not all that enjoyable to watch. But I guess they shot forty-four free throws. Excuse me. So even more than that, it was not a beautiful game to watch by any means. But yeah, you, you saw the guys shine through that need to shine through. Larry Markinen's going to be good. Twenty-six nine on nine of twelve shooting. Maybe doesn't shoot that efficiently every night, but twenty-six and nine is a pretty standard line for for Lowry, and I think we will see that. John Collins was most promising, like you mentioned, 15 points, three rebounds. I think he's starting to get a sense of where his touches are. They just played so few minutes last night, it didn't really matter what they did against New Zealand, but I think you got a little better sense of what he was doing. And then to your point, you know, Walker Kessler took nine shots. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good number. He needs to be up there around that group. And then the uh, Jordan Clarkson, Taylor Horton Tucker starting backcourt, which may be your day one starting lineup. Maybe that's who... Uh, who Will Hardy decides to go with, was also relatively productive, including both of them racking up six assists, which is a nice number. If you could get 12 assists from your starting backcourt, uh, I think Will Hardy would take that, and that would be the type of ball distribution and movement that uh, that they want to see. Against New Zealand, Josh Christopher got his first minutes with the Jazz. He played eight minutes, shot two for four from the field, four points, added a block and a steal as well. And we can use that as a transition to talk about the wavings and the signings for the Jazz. Uh, Utah dropped Joey Hauser, Tavion Kinsey, and Nick Onjenda. And they signed Josh Christopher, Michael DeVoe, and Keyshawn Justice. Uh, probably the biggest name here is Josh Christopher. Um, in his career so far, he averages about seven points, two rebounds, one and a half assists. He was the 24th overall pick in the 2021 draft to the Houston Rockets. What do you think about these moves for the Jazz? Uh, no, they're G League guys, obviously. His older brother played with the Jazz. Actually, Josh Christopher's older brother played one game and tore his knee up. His stinks. Made his NBA. I don't know if it was an NBA debut, but it was certainly his Jazz debut. 
and blew out his knee, and I don't think he's ever played in the NBA again. So that stinks. But uh, I, I remember reading about him, writing about him, watching his games at Arizona State when he was coming into the NBA. Uh, you know, he was the youngest player in the draft, I believe, super raw, had an injury at Arizona State that only allowed him to play 15 games, and then really had a good pre-draft circuit and skyrocketed up draft boards where a lot of people had him in the mid to late second round, and he ended up as a first rounder, kind of on this high upside swing and never panned out. And that's, you know, the danger of these high upside mystery swing players that you're going to get. But I do think it gives us an opportunity to talk about the Jazz rookies and what we've seen so far from them in the preseason, which is what Jazz fans want to know. How did they play? How did the three rookies play? They were first-round picks. A lot put into acquiring those guys, even though kind of ironically, those guys aren't necessarily the full payoff of the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell trades quite yet. Yes, you did draft Keontae George with the Minnesota Timberwolves pick. The Jazz pick was their own, number nine. Now, the only reason they had the ninth pick is because they did trade those guys, but the number 28 pick in uh, uh, Bryce Sensabaugh, which is a pretty, you know, 28th pick is a is a crapshoot at absolute best. Uh that was a part of the Royce O'Neal trade. So how did those guys look? I think that's a good place to start when we're looking at the preseason. Uh, we'll just start with Keontae George because he was the best rookie, played the most by any means. Uh, 21 minutes a game. It was, was it the most of any Jazz player? Let me pull this up. Yeah, Keontae George averaged the most minutes per game of anyone in the preseason. That's a little bit surprising to me. Uh, but Keontae was the Jazz' second leading scorer at 11.3 points per game. Did not shoot particularly well. 38% from the floor, 31% from three. Did have four assists per game, which is tied for the lead, uh, along with Johnny Juzang, who racked them all up yesterday, I think in the fourth quarter alone, or maybe in the second half. So, uh, yeah, he led the team in assists. He was the second-leading scorer. Didn't shoot particularly well, but also led the team in minutes. Okay. I think that's a good sign. Yeah. I think that's what you want to see from from one of your rookies, whether he's the ninth pick or the 16th pick. You would like to see a rookie start to break through a little bit there. Uh, Scrolling down here, we'll look at Bryce Sensabaugh. Played the one game yesterday. He ended up with, what, six points, three of eight shooting, missed both of his three-point attempts, had one assist, had one rebound. I actually thought he just looked okay off the ball, moving. He was talking on defense. Those are kind of little things I would look for because at Ohio State, he was so bad at those things uh, because he just had to carry such an enormous load offensively that it really wasn't fair to, you know, probably judge what he was doing on defense, especially as a true freshman. Uh, But I just thought the fact that he looked comfortable moving on the floor – just kind of understood defensive spacing, which is one of my early things. I always look at it, guys. Like, have you played enough basketball in your life just to understand that, like, when a guy is trailing over to the corner, where do you have to stand to, A, cut off a passing lane, B, close enough to be able to get out and close out on a three-point shot if he takes it, or to not get backdoored? Like, those are little things I think you've got to know, and it's just kind of a sign of basketball IQ. And I thought Bryce was actually positioned pretty well off the ball. I thought that was promising. Uh, and then Taylor Hendricks, we saw four games, averaged 11 minutes, uh, Taylor averaged, let me see, I'm trying to pull up the uh, points per game here. Taylor was at 3.5 points per game, shot 40% from the floor, 33% from three, knocked down two of his six attempts, I guess, that he ended up taking uh, in his four appearances. Two and a half rebounds. He was underwhelming. I totally get that. I, I understand Jazz fans wanted to see more. I suspect he would have been a lot more comfortable had he played in the summer league. Uh, but I could go back and pull up what I wrote about him on draft night or before draft night when I kind of did his uh, his pre-draft analysis for the Jazz and, and th- th- before we even knew that they were going to pick him. We just kind of knew he was going to take a while. They're just He's really big. He shot the ball extremely well at Central Florida. Uh, he blocked a lot of shots, so that's why he was going to be a lottery pick. Uh, but I can go back and read this to you. 
Unlike some of the more intuitive players in the lottery, Hendricks can't be described as a right place at the right time prospect consistently. Few players in the top half of the draft can rival Hendricks statistically, but others may make a bigger impact on a play-to-play basis. I, I still would buy that after four games. And again, it's such a small sample size, but he doesn't have terrific feel. He's not that guy who's going to stand in the right spot naturally because he's played enough basketball in his life to know where to go. Uh, so he's going to have to learn all those things, which, by the way, is exactly what the G League is for. It's going to be awesome for him to go down to the G League, let Steve Wojcikowski go down there and just say, hey, Taylor, you were standing four feet off of the spot you're supposed to be in. So tomorrow, when we play again, be in the right spot. And then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again. And then, by the way, once you do that, now we'll start drawing up plays for you to be a standstill three-point shooter in the corner. And then how to close out on the weak side as a, you know, like as a shot blocker. All of those things he's got to learn. I don't think he knows how to do them. But when you play at Central Florida in an okay but not great AAC conference, you can get by by being six foot ten, super bouncy, and really long with the ability to knock down open threes. And that's what he did. Uh, but he's got a long ways to go. He's just got a long ways to go. And, and I think we said this last week. I'm not worried about how he's playing on October 17th, 2023. I will be more worried if on October 17th, 2025, he's not found a way to contribute at all. That would be concerning. Right now, zero concern. I think a lot of Jazz fans, specifically ones who maybe didn't pay a lot of attention during the draft process, are asking, why is our 16th pick getting the most minutes of anyone in the preseason and our ninth pick sort of struggling to get on the floor? I know that there's never a single answer for this, but what would you attribute that most to being? Is it that he was injured and he couldn't play in the summer league? Is it that he may not be court ready like you may be insinuating? Or is it a combination of both or other factors. Poor pre-draft analysis about how good Keontae George is. The truth is Keontae probably should have been like the sixth pick. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, if you were to redraft it right now, just based on what we saw in the summer league and the first four games, which again is an equally small sample size, but just the things you're looking for. It's like, do you have feel? Do you have rhythm? Do you have skills that translate immediately? Can you knock down shots at a consistent rate, which he didn't do in preseason, by the way, but he did do in the in the summer league. Uh, that's probably a sign that we should have drafted you higher, and they should have drafted him higher. And, and same with Cam Whitmore, who slipped to 20. I mean, I know Jazz fans were banging the drum for Cam Whitmore. Yeah, maybe he should have gone higher. Maybe they should have taken him at 16 and taken Keontae George at 9. Again, the league is full of what we should have done in the draft because it's just such an inexact science. But the truth is Keontae is more NBA-ready and may have a higher ceiling. And all of these guys are 19. I think that's what's also crazy to remember. The Jazz didn't go out and take a four-year college player who could step in and play right away they took three guys who were 19 years old there was no chance that three of those guys were going to be in NBA rotation on opening night in fact it's really weird that one of them is even in the rotation on opening night considering this is a team that's going to make the playoffs or is going to vie to make the playoffs I should say so Keontae George at 19 cracking the opening night rotation is really impressive it shouldn't be all that surprising that neither Bryce Sensabaugh or Taylor Hendricks look ready to play they're 19 if they have a really good 18 months, 24 months, 36 months, which is, by the way, is why you have these long rookie contracts for these guys, and they're ready to play. They're going to be 22. That's how old Taylor Horton Tucker is right now. That's how old Ochai Abaji is right now. Like, if they're not ready to play until then, I get that that's going to test your patience. It's not the evolution and the speed with which you wanted to play, and it messes up some windows with Lowry Markinen and John Collins, et cetera, Jordan Clarkson, certainly. I get that. But... If they're good and they're 22, good. You made a good draft pick. It just took a while to get there. So, I, I, again, I understand the frustration. I understand you want your new Christmas present to be ready to play with right away. You don't want to wait till summer to use it. 
But if you get to summer and you love it, then it was a good Christmas present. If it takes a year or two before these guys can contribute, but they contribute, it was still a good draft pick. And enjoy Keontae George in the meantime, because by the end of the season, I bet he's playing 28 minutes. I was about to say, I think that the Jazz were sort of expecting all three of these picks to be a project in some way, and it was just ended up being a pleasant surprise that Keontae George is as NBA-ready as he has shown to be so far. Then again, we're not even at opening night. Opening night is coming up in eight days against the Sacramento Kings. The Jazz will play the Kings in the preseason before that. But like we said, uh, we don't expect there to be many minutes for the guys up top. We want to avoid some injuries in that game. Um is there anything you're looking for besides just maybe some more minutes for the rookies? And- yeah, just let the young guys play. And I actually thought Taylor Hendricks, Taylor's he's just such an interesting player. He's not a guy who's going to step in and I think make an impact in six or seven minutes. I think he just, he takes a while to get into the flow of the game. He's got to get feel. He was such a central piece to what Central Florida was doing, even more so than what Keontae did at, at Baylor. Like, the, everything they did at Central Florida was kind of based around what Taylor Hendricks could bring to the table, and now he's not doing any of that with the Jazz. I think he's got to figure out how to be a very small part-time role player in the NBA early on and then can slowly assume more and more responsibilities. Uh, we have not seen that yet, uh, but I think that's a hard adjustment for him. So I think, actually, yeah, if he can play 25 minutes, first of all, can he stay on the floor? Can he not foul out? Can he not have 10 turnovers? And does he get a little bit better throughout the game? I thought he got a little bit better throughout the second half to where in the fourth quarter, he kind of recognized like, hey, this is the speed of the game. I need to run and crash the boards. I can get an offensive rebound and put it back up. Uh, I can run, I can leak out and get a dunk. Like some of those little things that are just like, hey, I get where I fit. I don't know if he gets where he fits right now. And I think that's, again, totally understandable. It's a difficult transition. And those guys, those rookies who do get where they fit right away are are certainly the uh, exception and not the rule. And Keontae George is an exception. So he's looked good so far. All right, we've talked enough rookies uh, for the Utah Jazz. Let's take a quick break when we come back. Uh, we'll look at our latest with the Jazz 50. We'll look at ESPN's top 100 players as well, where the Utah Jazz landed. And we'll get to your mailbag questions. Stick around. Welcome back. It's the Jazz Notes podcast. Ben Anderson, Chandler Holt. Hey, quickly before we get into uh, some of the ESPN rankings and our Jazz 50 rankings, I do want to look at the rookies really quick because I think this is interesting because, again, there's a lot of hand-wringing about what Taylor Hendricks is or isn't doing and what Bryce Sensabaugh is or isn't doing. So let's just go over some of the numbers of the rookies so far in the preseason and get a better sense of, like, what is fair to expect from some of these guys. Now, Victor Wembanyama, totally different cat. You know, he's... Seven foot four. He's maybe the greatest basketball prospect of all time. He's only played two games. He's averaging 21 minutes a game, but he's giving you 21 points. He's giving you four and a half rebounds, which is actually a little low. Again, mm-hmm. I'm worried about rebounding. I always talk about rebounding on this podcast. <laughs> I'd probably beat it to death. Uh, but he's, you don't, don't expect anyone you have to compete with what Victor Wembanyama is doing. He's a superstar. He's going to be a star as long as he stays healthy. I'm not worried about that at all uh, in my comparisons. Uh, the second best rookie as far as points per game, 19.7 per game, Julian Strother. Well, he's playing on the Denver Nuggets, which is super impressive. Good for Denver if they found another guy. Remember Christian Brown was so good for them last year. He's also 21 years old, played a ton of college basketball, played at Gonzaga last year. He's good. Chet Holmgren, number two overall pick. He's averaging 18.5 points a game. He's only played two games. He's also been in the NBA for a year. Had a year to figure out this whole thing. That's fine. Scoot Henderson's going to get all the opportunities in the world. Uh, Scoot's shooting 41% from the floor, 29% from three, so the three is not falling. It didn't when he was in the G League either. 
Uh, but again, 13.5 points a game. Jaime Jaquez, again, played a ton of college basketball, a little bit older player. He's also only played one game, and he scored 13 points in the in the preseason so far. He's not playing a whole lot. Jordan Hawkins, again, another player who played a ton of college basketball. I think he was a junior when he came out, just won the national title last season. Uh, I don't think he was most outstanding player, but he was you know, certainly one of the stars of that team winning the title. Shooting 35% from the floor. He's averaging 13 points. He's played three games. He's shooting 39% from three. That is his M.O. Cam Whitmore comes in at number seven, the name that so many Jazz fans are excited about. 12.7 points per game, 42% from the floor, 33% from three. Pretty promising. The big question with him, was Cam Whitmore ever going to pass the ball? The answer is no. He's <laughs> averaging uh, a third of an assist a game. So he doesn't pass. Yeah. He didn't pass when he was in college. He's not passing now. So uh, we will see if that uh, grows and evolves. It hasn't so far. Uh, Amani Bates somewhat hilariously, is on this list. He's tied with Cam Whitmore at 12.7 points per game. He's actually shooting a lot better than I think a lot of people expected. 52% from the floor, 45% from three. If you forget the story about Amoni Bates, he was like one of the top recruits in the country, washed out of college, didn't want to go to class, had issues with his dad. Like There was weird things going on there with like playing time. Gets a draft in the second round and looks like he uh, might... Might have something there. He's on a two-way with the Cleveland Cavaliers, I believe, but good for him. Ben Shepard right now is at 11 points per game. He played a bunch of years in college and was kind of a late riser in the draft process. Some people thought the Jazz might look at him at number 28. Amen Thompson comes in at number 10. Uh, He's averaging 11.3 points per game, shooting 38% from the floor. Keontae George comes in at number 11, 11.3 points per game, also shooting shooting 38% uh, from the the floor. Excuse me, Asar Thompson who was, what, the number five overall pick, right? Asor went number four. He's shooting 26% from the floor. You know, he's averaging 10 points, but if you're shooting 26% from the floor, you cannot be on the, uh, you cannot play at that level. Jairus Walker, again, I know I'm getting a little boring here. I'm sorry, but Jairus Walker, who's the name I think a lot of Jazz fans wish the Jazz had traded up for, uh, he's shooting 33% from the floor right now. He's taking 11 shots a game. Yeah, he's averaging more points than Taylor Hendricks is. He's getting 11 shots. Like, they're just giving him a green light to go out and do whatever he wants. He's shooting 29% from the three-point line. And I liked Jairus Walker in the draft. I probably like Jairus more than I like Taylor Hendricks on my draft analysis. I had him higher on the draft board, I think. I didn't do, like, a final top 100, but, like, I would have taken Jairus first. He's not playing well. Like, the, again, you can, you can hand ring, and I'll write this whole story up for you. You can be scared of what you've seen so far from Taylor Hendricks. Where's the rookie here that wasn't Chet Holmgren or wasn't Victor Wembanyama that is blowing your socks off? Or didn't play three or four years in college? Like, they just don't exist. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And the Jazz have so few top ten draft picks historically. And Donovan was so good. And then Walker Kessler was so good last year. I think there's this expectation that these guys are going to step in and be ready to play right away. It just doesn't happen. Brandon Miller is shooting 10% from three right now. (laughs) 10%. Ten percent. That's Russell Westbrook's first year in the NBA. Like, and that's his. That's his skill. He's a shooter. That was his skill. Is he's big. He's pretty athletic, and he shoots the ball. He, he ain't shooting the ball. Like, so I just would tell Jazz fans, just like take a deep breath. You've hit with Keontae. I wrote this yesterday. I tweeted it out. It's not a matter of if with Keontae. It's a matter of when. When does he become the guy? He is going to be the guy. Just when does it happen? Is it forty games in? Is it 60 games in? Is it 120 games in next season? That's fine. It's going to happen. You hit. You had to hit, and you did. And that's really important. You're not going to hit on every one of them. Nobody does. Kobe Bufkin's down on this list, shooting 31% from the floor, 19% from three. I loved Kobe Bufkin coming out of Michigan. He was awesome. He's terrible right now. He cannot play. Jet Howard was a lottery pick. 
He's actually shooting pretty well. 42% from the floor, 44% from three. Averaging seven points a game. Well, fine. It's okay. It's not great. But he's out there. He's trying. Oh, excuse me. It's eight points a game. Uh, Bilal Koulibaly, who I actually did really like, is actually playing out of his mind right now. Uh, eight and a half points a game. 58% from the floor. 50% from three. And he does everything. He's like three and a half steals a game. Like, he's awesome, <laughs> actually. I, I'm going to pat myself on the back for loving Bilal Koulibaly before the draft. But anyways, the point remains. I'm sorry that was a boring segment. It's just there's not many good rookies. And Taylor Hendricks is not very good right now, nor is Bryce Sensabaugh, and they fit right in with everyone else who stinks. Good for them. <laughs> they all stink. You know, when you don't have a player, when you have a player who doesn't stink, it's the, it's the rare exception. Fans do have to hold their uh, expectations. You have to remember these dudes are 19, like you said. They are playing a professional sport for the first time in their lives. And with all that said, it's also just the preseason. You know, these these coaches and these front office uh, members, they know what they're doing. They know how to, for the most part, we'll, we'll exclude some yeah. franchises in that. Uh, <laughs> they know what they're doing. They're going to ease those, these guys into it. The preseason is the time to get all those misses and all the terrible shooting percentages, the turnovers, everything out of the way. And a lot of those guys are going to play in the G League. By the way, a lot of those guys are going to get G League opportunities, uh, just like Taylor Hendricks and, uh, and Bryce Sensabaugh. And look, I don't think Keontae George is going to go down to the G League this year, but if he has a five-game stretch where he shoots 20% and like it starts to bury him because he's making all these mistakes in front of 18,000 people, and you need to have him go play at the Maverick Center with the Stars for two games just to be like, hey, the Jazz have three days off. They're going to play back-to-back. We want you to get on the floor and get 25 minutes and kind of work out of your shooting slump. Do it, and it'll be just fine as well. There's just We don't need to uh, we don't need to frown on the G League at all uh, when it comes to these young players. It's going to benefit them. It'll benefit all those other guys we talked about on this list, and I think we will see more of them playing in the G League this year than ever before. All right, enough with my rookie rant. I will write <laughs> that up later in the week, I promise you, uh, because everyone will wrap up preseason coming up uh, Thursday and Friday. So we will finish that off, and I, I will get us ready for the beginning of the regular season. Let's look at the ESPN Top 100, the NBA rank. They do it every year. Where do they expect uh, players going into the season to be as far as, uh, you know, where they rank in the, uh, the the best players in the NBA? Coming in at number 98, Colin Sexton. Coming in at number 90, John Collins. Coming in at number 77, Jordan Clarkson. Coming in at number 70, Walker Kessler. And coming in at number 28, Lowry Markinen. A uh, couple things jump out to me. It's kind of a high ranking for Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. They're expecting him to have a bounce back year. Uh, I said Walker Kessler's had a very disappointing preseason. And very is a strong word. Not very. He's had a somewhat underwhelming preseason. I will say the same thing for uh, for Colin Sexton. I expected Colin to look a little bit better. Second year, knows what to uh, expect from Will Hardy. I know his role's changing seemingly every night. He just did not, he did not play great. Colin Sexton just looks a little bit a little wild still. To me, 16 and a half minutes uh, in his four appearances. I don't know if he plays on Thursday or not. Uh, eight points, shot 31% from the floor, did shoot 42% from three. I think, the again, the key for him, he might just have to shoot more threes. He just he might have to be that guy. I know he likes to grab the ball and get downhill. He's only taken 1.8 threes a game. The Jazz need shooters on this roster because the front court can't shoot very well. He may need to lean into shooting the ball more because he, he knocks it down, and he was not that efficient going to the rim and also was pretty turnover prone, so... He may need to change his style of play a little bit. A few weeks ago, we reacted to the CBS Top 100 list. They had Walker Kessler at 90 and Laurie Markkinen at 41, and that was it. There was only two players, and they were sort of low. Um, so they, Jazz was even a lot more love um, on the ESPN list. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know about Colin Sexton as a Top 100 player. I agree with you there. Um, but Walker Kessler, 20 spots higher on ESPN's list than CBS, and Laurie Markkinen about 
uh, or 13 spots higher on the ESPN list. Um, and I think last time we both agreed that Larry Markin is a top 30 player, yeah. and he gets that love here for me. I like that from ESPN. I think that's more accurate. I would swap Jordan Clarkson and Walker Kessler. I do think Jordan is still better than Walker Kessler at this point. Again, maybe that's just some recency bias with the preseason, and maybe Walker really steps it up once the regular season starts. The preseason's really hard to judge. It's just really hard to, to know exactly what teams are trying to accomplish and roles and guys are getting, you know, you may put Jordan Clarkson in a really uncomfortable situation knowing on opening night he's going to bounce back and be just fine. Maybe the Walker Kessler is the same thing, or maybe he's not, and that's going to be an ongoing conversation here. Uh, but five players in the top 100, maybe a little bit ambitious for the Jazz. But I think Jordan's probably a little bit underrated. Walker might be a little bit overrated at this point. That's the top 100. I wrote it up. You can go find it at kslsports.com. Quickly, our Jazz 50 that we've been doing, counting down to the opening night of the regular season, the 50 greatest players in jazz history, is voted on by the local media and fans at kslsports.com. Uh, we had Donovan Mitchell today at number 5, Rudy Gobert at 6, Darren Williams came in at number 7, Mark Eaton at 8, and Carlos Boozer at 9. I have Rudy Gobert rated as the third best player in jazz history. I think when you look at his resume, six all-defensive first teams, four all-NBA teams, three all-stars, uh, led the league in field goal percentage several times, led the league in rebounding while he was with the Jazz, ranks top 10 in games played, all of these different stats, number two overall in rebounds ever, number two in blocks. Rudy's going to the Hall of Fame, and he's going to be one of the few players on this list that goes to the Hall of Fame based on his Utah Jazz career. And when we look at that compared to other names on this list, it's he's gonna he's just gonna have a better resume. He will have won more than a lot of those guys did. The Jazz never made the conference final with Rudy Gobert. That is a knock. Rudy is part of the problem of why they never made it that far. But I think all in all, resume, longevity, stats, Rudy's the real deal. Three three defensive player of the year awards. It's crazy. Yes. Yeah. And you go Time to the for Hall second of, most ever. Yeah, you go to the Hall of Fame. Like you're a you're a real great all time player. And I know that there are legendary names, Adrian Dantley and Pistol Pete Maravich and you know Mark Eaton and Carlos Boozer and Darren Williams and guys whose careers have come to an end. And we have kind of a chance to to encapsulate it and kind of say like I get where that fits. We're probably just not there with Rudy Gobert yet. And I think the longer we get away from the Rudy Gobert era the more he's going to rise and stand out. And again, I think he goes to the Hall of Fame. Some of that may depend on how well France plays next year at the Olympics, where it's being hosted in Paris, and if uh, France can make another run in the national or in the uh, in the international tournaments. But he's already won a silver medal. Like, that matters. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's not the NBA Hall of Fame. All the stuff that you do internationally matters as well, and Rudy Gobert's been a great international player for a while. So resume, longevity, stats, Good teams, international play. I think Rudy Gobert goes to the Hall of Fame, and once he's in the Hall of Fame, he's absolutely in that conversation. He's not John and Carl, but uh, he's up there with the, with everybody else, I think, pretty easily. And I think better than Donovan Mitchell, in all honesty. Not a better player, but a better resume. Rudy Gobert is one of those players, at least in the eyes of fans, where I think some of the off-court stuff sort of taints the stuff that you see on the court from him. I think, like you said, if you look at the resume, it's 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 there. It's you know everything that you need to be one of the greatest players in a franchise's history is there. Um, but that was actually a question I had for you. Like you said, Donovan Mitchell was number five and Gobert was number six. Um, and all of the top four players on the list are Hall of Famers. Um, you said it, Rudy Gobert. I agree with you. Three Defensive Player of the Year awards. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame one day. What do you think about Donovan Mitchell, potentially? I know it's earlier for him, but... He has not uh, checked his Hall of Fame box yet. Yes. Now, again, I think it's hard to remember. Rudy Gobert was drafted in 2013. Donovan was drafted in 2017. Four years. Enter. I mean, Rudy is exiting his prime right now, I think, pretty clearly. Donovan is just entering his prime right now. 
We will see. I mean, he he was on a tear last year in Cleveland. If he does that for four more years and they start winning games, yeah, I think he probably is a Hall of Famer. You know, I think he he has a chance to be in that conversation. He's got to make some conference finals, but, you know, he's not the defensive player that Paul George is. But, you know, Paul George has never made it to the finals, certainly never won a title, but was on some pretty good teams. He's always been a really good scorer, dangerous offensive threat. Like, I think you could see a similar uh, conversation with Donovan Mitchell there. So, yeah, I, I think Donovan Mitchell could get there. Uh, he's got work to do. He's yes. got to continue to get better. But, you know, All-NBA second team helps that he made last year. It was his first time ever making an All-NBA team. Uh, can he continue to do those types of things uh, in Cleveland or wherever he ends up next season? Or you know, And then does he get hurt if he bounces around a bunch? I think those are big questions as well. So uh, Donovan Mitchell not in the Hall of Fame yet. I do think Rudy Gobert has already, has already built that out. And again, that's part of the reasons why I'd put him higher. All right, let's get into the mailbag. Uh, first up from Holly Hardy. Uh, why do you think Will Hardy is continuing to start THT this preseason? His plus-minus and eye test seem to contradict him being the best starting point guard. Uh, again, we had some of these stats for the Utah Jazz. Let me pull these up really quick again. Preseason numbers. He's kind of funny. Um, Keontae George, we just raved about how good he's been. 11.3 points per game, 21 minutes a game, uh, four assists. Well, Taylor Horton Tucker's at 11.3 points per game, which is identical. He's shooting 4% 4 percentage points better from the floor, 6 percentage points better from three. 37% from three is a really important number for Taylor. Yes. Uh, especially on four attempts. You know, his knock was that he was a 28% three-point shooter last year. If he's shooting 37% from three with his experience and the fact that he does just put up raw numbers, that's a, that's that's doable. Like, you can find a way to use that player. Uh, 3.8 rebounds is a good number. 3.5 assists is a good number. He's got to drop his his uh, his turnovers down a little bit at two a game, but gets a half steal. Like he's fine. He's honestly fine. He is he's a weird player to watch. His rhythm is bizarre. He seems to be playing by himself out there, even though the assist numbers don't imply that. Like it doesn't seem like anyone else on the roster knows what he's doing when they're just kind of standing there watching him, which is a little bit of chaos that works, but it is bizarre. So, like, statistically, we haven't seen anything from Taylor Horton Tucker that says he shouldn't play. Last year, I think there was evidence that he maybe shouldn't be playing, especially with his shooting percentage numbers. If he can shoot 37% from three, that's good, and the Jazz need shooters. So I think there's some promise there. And in all honesty, like, he wasn't – like, I don't think – he's not better than Jordan Clarkson. I know he's not better than Jordan. He's probably a little better than Keontae George right now just because of experience. But he was better than Keontae – or, excuse me, he was better than Colin Sexton in the preseason. So if we're talking about the five guys and we're just going off of merit of what they've done over the last four games, the guy who shouldn't be playing is Colin Sexton. Now, I've always argued that Chris Dunn's been the best point guard for the Jazz. I think he is the most ready point guard from the Jazz. He shot 93% in the preseason. <laughs> he played in all four games and he shot 93% from the floor. He would smash the all-time record for points made. 93%. Unbelievable. Shot 66% from three. Again, he only takes he takes less than one a game, 0.8, but he knocked down... Uh, whether it was that, like two of his three attempts that he took. He still will make them. He's a great passer. He's the best defensive player on the perimeter for the Jazz. I would start Chris Dunn and Collins and and, uh, and Jordan Clarkson. That would be my starting rotation. I would have those two guys in the backcourt. If I'm serious about winning games, that's who I'm starting. And then I'm no Keontes coming in in that second unit of guards that's playing, and then I'm picking between Taylor Horton Tucker and Colin Sexton. That's what I would do personally. But I would start Chris Dunn and, uh, and Jordan Clarkson. I think that gives me the best chance to win. And I probably wouldn't play five guards. But Will Hardy to open the season says, I've got enough 
questions left or confidence in these five guys that they can help us win. And I, he knows way more about it than I do. He sees them in practice every day. He, he knows what the conversation's like. He knows what he's doing, balancing a locker room. Those aren't things that I'm worried about when I, when I kind of make these proclamations. Those are all things he does have to worry about and balance egos and paychecks and all this stuff. Uh, so I actually think statistically, Taylor Horton Tucker has made a pretty compelling case to be a top four guard in this rotation, and and most teams play four guards. So that's why he's playing. Does he stay in the way? I don't think the Jazz are going to play five guards all season because I think they'll probably make a trade at some point to to thin it out a little bit. I think the Jazz fans are a little bit too caught up on who's going to be the starting point guard on opening night. I think that if you were to go in the locker room, I think it that they're more looking at who's going to be the starting point guard halfway through the season, whether it's a move getting made or Keontae making that step to being a starting quality NBA player. Um, I think that they're sort of just looking to get to that point. And whether it's Chris Dunn or THT or whoever fills in those point guard minutes, they just needed to hold it down. And you can rely on the guys later de- or further down in the lineup to uh, produce what you need to get those wins out. Um, but speaking of moves, next question up from Luke. Do you think the Jazz make any moves before the deadline? If so, who do you think goes and what would they look to bring in? Yeah, I, I do think they will make a move before the deadline because it's Danny Ainge and yes. he's a meddler. He, you know, in a good way. He he wants to fix his roster. He wants to upgrade and make changes here and there. So I think the guard line will thin out. They have too many guards. They, the truth is they have five guards. And Ochai, they're having to play at power forward right now, <laughs> which actually is, is the right move because Ochai can't dribble and isn't a great passer. So you got to get him off the ball. And the Jazz backcourt, A, is so deep, and B, I think, does demand because they don't have a true floor general point guard. They have to have certain skills checked at multiple positions, and Ochai doesn't bring some of those. But the things he does do well, runs hard, shoots a three well, is very athletic, can defend a little bit all over the floor, well, are reason to have him on the floor, but not in the guard rotation. Yeah, five guards is too much. They will send that out a little bit. It's just they're not very good. And then, you know, what do they need? What's the best offer? It might you might just get you might get two second round draft picks back for one of these guys or something. It might be cash relief. It might be a future draft pick. It might be a player. Right? It, it's just so hard to say at this point of what you know because honestly, I mean, Colin Sexton's eighteen million dollars could be a linchpin piece in a Luka Doncic trade, you know, or Taylor Horton Tucker's eleven million dollars isn't expiring for a guy who comes in and plays off the ball and has. Two years left on his deal. Like it's just, I, I wish I could be more specific there on what the Jazz would look for. I don't know what the strengths and weaknesses are of this team yet. They're not very good defensively. I don't think they're going to be a great defensive team. If they could go out and get a really good lockdown defender that's out there for eleven million bucks, and they thought that was going to help them more, maybe that's what they look at. I don't know what team would be interested in this, but if you do have Colin Sexton and THT in a trade package, that's a potential bench backcourt at point guard and shooting guard, and it makes up about thirty million. So maybe you can find. Uh, an upgrade at point guard. You know, one of the names I had bantied about, again, just don't aggregate this. This is just like, <laughs> just, just kind of talking about like, let's say Denver gets to the midpoint of their season and says, because Calvin Booth went in the ringer yesterday and had this weird thing where he like kind of was way too candid about how he builds his roster and kind of burned Bones Highland and was even talking about Michael Porter Jr. and was like saying like, well, we've got, we've already got, we can only have one me first guy on the team and that's Michael Porter Jr. It's like, what? You know? He's like, and he makes $30 million a year is one of the best shooters in the NBA. Okay, it was a little bit of a weird thing to say, but let's say they get to the midpoint of the year and they're like, well, Michael Porter Jr. is not providing what we want him to provide, and we don't want that $30 million on the books for the next through 2027, but we need depth. Could you go out and do Colin Sexton and Kelly Olynyk and give them actual legitimate depth for Michael Porter Jr.? And the Jazz are like, well, we get younger and a six foot eleven guy who is kind of on the rise, like, yeah, maybe you could use him. That fits more with the Jazz doing. Like, 
those are the types of things that you probably keep your eye out for where you improve your roster, where other teams need to just make moves to get better that want to win a title. And you're saying, well, we can get a little bit younger for now and sacrifice some depth, but it thins out to some situations and you improve. And, you know, that doesn't account for the draft picks the Jazz would have to end. I'm not saying that's a draft. I'm not saying that's a package. I'm just like kind of throwing out the concept of like what you keep an eye out for across the market. And, you know, there could be a lot of teams midseason that are trading to get better because Boston thinks they can win a title. Milwaukee thinks they can win a title. Phoenix thinks they can win a title. Denver thinks they can win a title. The Lakers think they can win a title. And that's five teams. And I didn't mention Miami, who was in the finals last year, and then probably three or four other teams who are going to be better than we expect. So there is going to be room for movement. And I don't think you, you know, throw somebody away just to clean out a rotation now when there's a lot of deals to be made before February. Last question here, and this is a good one from Sam Briner. Uh, who is one player that will surprise this year and one that will disappoint? Uh... You know, I think we're probably already being surprised by Keontae George. I hate for that to be the boring answer, but like Keontae at 16th overall pick should not step in and play right away, much less be starting at some point this year. And I would bet that Keontae is starting at some point this year. He's the second biggest guard. Chris Dunn's taller. Jordan might be a little bit taller, but like Keontae's just got really good size. He's he's got a, just a really good frame, and he's going to get stronger. Uh, so I would imagine he starts at some point this season. So maybe that's surprising to you. You know what? Taylor Horton Tucker is probably the best answer for, like, who would surprise you because maybe he ends up playing 20 minutes a game and plays 80 games or 75 games. I don't know if that's a good sign for the Jazz or not. His evolution is still weird. He's Again, he's 22. I hate to keep, you know, beating that drum. So I, I don't know totally what to expect out of Taylor Horton Tucker. But I would say Keontae, I guess, would be the most surprising from a national perspective. People would be surprised that he's in the running, I think, for uh, all-rookie first team by the end of the year. Most disappointing, I guess, could be the second-year players that you just expect to make a jump, whether that's Ochai or Walker, and they don't quite evolve into a, you know an all-star by their second season, which, by the way, is just fine. Yes. You know, they're, they're st- again, both young, both under team control, and will continue to get better, and both find themselves playing in weird positions where I think last night we saw it. I had have to go back and pull up the actual box score, but I think Walker Kessler subs out at like eight and a half minutes you know, left in the first quarter. So he's only getting three minutes to get a feel for the game, which is hard for a young player. And then John Collins comes in and eats up a bunch of minutes. Like, that's going to be hard for Walker. He might play fewer minutes this year than he did last year. That would be a little surprising to me, but maybe that's the case. And if so, his numbers might drop, and then you could be like, oh, Walker regressed. It's like, no, he didn't regress. He played fewer minutes. And that's just a part of trying to figure out what this roster is. It's a weird roster. Getting John Collins was quirky. I'm not <laughs> saying it was a bad trade. Like, it, you, you got him for nothing. So I would have made that same trade, too. I think just from a value perspective, I would have made that same trade. But it really radically changes the identity of the Jazz. That simple. Other candidates for most surprising, I would say, uh, maybe Lucas Shamanis. Like you said, he had a great opening to the preseason, so maybe he could eat up some of Simone Fontecchio's minutes. Um, And then also, I would say John Collins and um, Colin Sexton can maybe return to one of their previous season forms. They're also both candidates to be most disappointing. Yes. Easily. Colin Sexton, and and based because they're the two highest paid players on the Jazz. Yes. They could easily be most disappointing candidates. Again, Colin Sexton, I told you, had a pretty disappointing preseason. Not worried about it. You know, he's working things out. He's, He's a pro. He's been in for a long time. As is John Collins. But, you know, if John Collins' three doesn't fall at a super high rate, uh, I think I wrote it out here. I can pull it up for you really quick right now. John Collins shot 37% from three in the preseason. It's a huge number for John. You'll take that. You'll Oh, yeah, you would kill for that. I mean, that's close to his highest career ever average. He knocked down 40% at one point. But, yeah, if he can knock down 37% and take a few more a game, 
yeah, that would be incredible for John Collins and the Utah Jazz. So he's he had a pretty good preseason actually. I I was not I, I was not disappointed if I was a Jazz fan and what I, I saw from John Collins averaged eight points and three point eight rebounds and shot thirty seven percent from three in nineteen minutes a game. If you you know up that a little bit and he gives you a twelve or thirteen points a game but shoots efficiently and grabs six or seven rebounds, I think you're more than happy with that considering he was never going to be the focus of the offense. Thank you guys for tuning into the Jazz Notes podcast. Uh, you can find us every single Tuesday afternoon anywhere that you get your podcast. Next Tuesday, we will be previewing the Jazz's opening night game against the Kings. It's next Wednesday. Thank you guys for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs>